W-A-T-E-R, water. It has a name. W-A-T. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. I'd like to use today's film as an opportunity to talk about the history of education in general. Obviously, humans have been teaching each other various skills since the beginning of humanity itself. The development of written language was a milestone in education, as it required teaching the system to the next generation, often just a select group of scribes. Writing also allowed information to be passed on to people the original writer never met. These first writing systems date back to about 5,500 years ago and were developed independently in different parts of the world. Ancient Egypt had simple schools where sons of the elite were taught either writing or medicine or religion, while the common men would learn their dad's profession or be apprenticed to another profession. Girls learned housekeeping skills from their mothers. In Babylon, libraries were common. In China during the Zhou Dynasty, beginning about 3,000 years ago, There were at least nine schools teaching things such as math, music, calligraphy, archery, and chariot driving. Ancient Greece is often a place we associate with education, though they didn't really have a concept of publicly funded education. But most families, regardless of income, would send their sons to receive some sort of private education. Subjects we haven't yet mentioned included poetry, wrestling, theater, and history. In the film The Physician, we met famed scholar Ibn Sina, who was a sort of Renaissance man long before the Renaissance in 11th century Persia. That's episode 16 if you want to check it out in my archives. In medieval Europe, schools mostly centered around the church with men taught Latin and writing. The universities, which would later teach law, art, and medicine, mostly all started as centers of faith. The first public school in what is now the United States opened in 1635 in Boston and still operates today as a high school. In the 19th century, a blind and deaf girl gained notoriety for how much progress she made in her education. Her name, of course, is Laura Bridgman. No, seriously, stay with me. Laura Bridgman was born in 1829. Already a frail child, scarlet fever hit her family when she was just two. It killed her two older sisters. Laura survived, but lost her sight and hearing and senses of taste and smell. At the Perkins Institution for the Blind in the Boston area, she did learn Braille and could communicate through a system of drawing letters in the palm. She met Charles Dickens in 1842, and he wrote about her success. So, in the 1880s, Catherine Keller read about Laura Bridgman and was convinced there was hope for her daughter, Helen. The movie The Miracle Worker opens with an infant Helen being inspected by a doctor as her nervous parents stand by. She's been sick, but the worst has passed, and the doctor assures them that she'll live. But her mom quickly notices that her baby no longer reacts to any visual or audible stimuli. She's blind and deaf. We today don't know exactly what illness she had, perhaps scarlet fever or meningitis, but when she was about a year and a half old, Helen Keller did lose her hearing and vision. The film then cuts to her as a young girl who is all but feral, wandering around the family home like a zombie with her arms out in front of her, moaning and grunting. She is lost in the metaphorical sense and strikes out violently when challenged at all. The film doesn't say exactly how old Helen is supposed to be here. Historically, she would be just six, almost seven at this time, but she is portrayed by actress Patty Duke, who was 15 or 16 when they filmed the movie. 
I would guess they're going for 11 or 12 and not hoping to convince us a 16-year-old is 6 years old. They mention having tried to get her help and being unsuccessful, but her mother is compelled to keep trying. She's convinced there's a bright mind trapped inside. We cut to Annie Sullivan, a young woman with poor vision herself, boarding a train in Boston. The Kellers meet her at the station in Alabama. Annie is very excited to start working with Helen, though Mr. Keller is rather skeptical as this is Annie's first teaching position. So, a few details the movie leaves out here. Mr. Keller had traveled to the East Coast with Helen. They even briefly met Alexander Graham Bell, who did some work with deaf children. He suggested they reach out to the Perkins Institute, that it had success with Laura Bridgman. And it was the director of the Perkins Institute who recommended Annie Sullivan, a recent valedictorian of the school, to the Kellers. The film gives us hints of a haunted past for Miss Sullivan, and I'm not sure to what extent this may have been exaggerated, but she does seem to have had it pretty tough. When she was five, Annie got a bacterial disease in her eyes, which gradually left her mostly blind. Several operations during her time at the Perkins Institute improved her vision enough that she didn't need a cane or anything to get around on her own. Her mom died when she was eight, and her dad abandoned her and her brother Jimmy. Wikipedia says that they were at something called an almshouse. The movie refers to it as an asylum. Regardless, her brother died just a few months after they arrived. Annie was also friends with Laura Bridgman, who served as one of her teachers at Perkins. Anyway, Annie Sullivan arrived at the Keller's home in March of 1887. In the film, she gets right to work and gives Helen a doll as a welcome present. Helen understands that Annie is a new person, though their relationship quickly becomes adversarial as Helen doesn't like that Annie doesn't put up with her unruliness. The family insists that Helen just doesn't and can't know any better. Annie sees nothing but a spoiled brat who throws tantrums when she doesn't get her way. Annie's approach is twofold. Get Helen to obey basic rules of civility, like sitting at dinner with everyone else and using her utensils, and teaching her words by spelling out things in sign language while Helen feels her hand. After a lot of fighting, like even physical fighting, and almost getting fired by Mr. Keller, Annie succeeds in getting Helen to act civilized, and she can repeat words very regularly. The family is pleased, but Annie is not satisfied. Helen still hasn't made the connection that the words mean anything. To her, it's just a game of repetition or mimicking whatever Annie is doing. A lot of the progress was made while Annie and Helen lived together in the family's hunting lodge away from the main house, so Helen wouldn't have her parents as a crutch or refuge to go to after escaping Annie. The family holds a celebratory slash welcome home dinner after Helen's two weeks away with Annie, and Helen immediately begins the backslide. The family wants some allowances to be given, but Annie is adamant that all her work will be undone if they're not firm with her. After Helen throws a pitcher of water in Annie's face, Annie grabs Helen and the empty pitcher and drags her out to the yard where the well or water pump is. She's going to make Helen replace the water she spilled. And of course, she's always signing to Helen what things are. And finally, it clicks for Helen. In an amazing, tear-jerking climax, Helen gets it. W-A-T-E-R, signed into her hand, means water, the stuff coming out of the well that they drink. Things have names. She gets it. She excitedly runs around the yard. She's now dragging Annie and making her give the name of everything. She finally asks for the word for Annie's role in her life, and Annie spells out, teacher. And this is where the movie ends, with the breakthrough after Annie spends a few weeks at the Keller home. 
But it was the beginning of a lifelong friendship that lasted until the end of Annie's life 49 years later. In fact, Annie died with Helen holding her hand. The title of the film, The Miracle Worker, is believed to have come from Mark Twain's description of Annie's accomplishments with Helen. Aside from Helen's age at the time, the only other significant thing the movie seems to tweak is Helen's ability to communicate with her family. The sign she has developed to refer to her mother is used in the film, but they don't really give us any indication that there were more signs. It appears, however, she had actually developed over 60 signs that they had come up with at home to help her communicate. So yes, Annie's help was sorely needed, but this doesn't seem to fit into the film's narrative that all but her mother thought Helen had no functional mind. Helen actually later wrote herself of the moment of revelation depicted in the movie. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living world awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, set it free. The year after this film is set, the young Helen went to Massachusetts and entered the Perkin Institute where Annie had graduated from. She continued her schooling over the years at various places out east, finally earning a bachelor's degree in 1904 at Radcliffe College, which is now part of Harvard University. Helen then spent her life writing and traveling the world giving speeches. And all this is why we all know the name Helen Keller, but Laura Bridgman is largely forgotten. Maybe the difference was ambition, but Bridgman never became a public figure and just lived a quiet, private life, while Keller met over a dozen U.S. presidents. Shoot, Helen Keller was one of the founders of the ACLU. She was very political, almost radically so, especially for the time as she was a pacifist socialist. Keller's health declined in the 1960s, and she died in the summer of 1968 at the age of 87. Her ashes were actually buried next to Annie Sullivan. When the U.S. put out all those state quarters, Alabama's had Helen Keller on it and even had Braille lettering on it. The film The Miracle Worker was nominated for five Academy Awards, and both main actresses here won Anne Bancroft for playing Annie Sullivan and the teenage Patty Duke for playing Helen Keller. And for those who enjoy movie trivia... Patty Duke's son is Sean Austin of Rudy and Lord of the Rings fame. Elsewhere in the world in 1887, the U.S. leases Pearl Harbor as a Navy base. The AAU, Amateur Athletic Union, is formed. The first Groundhog Day is observed. The first female mayor in the United States is elected in Argonia, Kansas, just 30 minutes south where I sit while recording this. Queen Victoria hits year 50 on the British throne. Construction begins on the Eiffel Tower in Paris. The Yellow River floods in China, killing hundreds of thousands of people. Doc Holliday died. And Georgia O'Keeffe, Jim Thorpe, and Shoeless Joe Jackson were born. And finally, also in 1887, Van Gogh was very busy painting, though he will take his own life just three years later. We'll explore his life more next week with the 2017 film Loving Vincent. One last thing real quick, I did start a second podcast back in February. It's called Track Nerds, so the same as my website. It'll be recorded conversations with various guests discussing travel, movies, and track and field, or at least exercise of some kind. This includes the rundown of my favorite movies of 2018, so please go check it out. You should be able to find it on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, 
or you can just stream it directly from my website. Okay, thanks and catch you later.